All right, Romans chapter 10, uh, and I think we'll do chapter 11 today as well. So we're kind of we're breaking off the tradition. Uh, Romans 9 to 11 are definitely a unit, same, same topic. Um, it's a, it's a, the part of Romans that a lot of people have difficulty figuring out how does it fit into the argument of Romans. And I even thought that for a long time. But this time studying through Romans, uh, since we're, we've noticed more, at least I've noticed more than I have in the past, that when Paul talks about the righteousness of God, he's talking about God's way of making the world right and how he has worked through history, through the call of Abraham, uh, through Israel and all the way up to the Messiah. Um, that is the way that God has chosen to make the world right. And that, for Paul, was very significant, that now it's not just the Jews that are God's instruments of um, purpose in the world, but also now the Gentiles are included because of the work of Jesus. And so the relationship between Jew and Gentile is part of what Paul is referring to when he says we are saved by faith, not by works. Um, I think when I hear the word works in Romans, I, I hear Paul saying works of the law, of the Jewish law. And so for him to say that we're justified by faith means he's not so much thinking, therefore, we can all go to heaven when we die. He's thinking Jew and Gentile can eat together be in the same church together. So it's more of um, amazing to Paul that the church can include both Jew and Gentile. Yeah. So George, is it more like instead of works being like me doing good deeds, it's almost more about identity? So I think so, yeah. That does kind of change how, how you view all that. Yeah. So that's what a circumcision thing also is a big deal because that was part of that identity mark yes. before the Jews. Yeah. So the comment was that, that works is not doing good things. Works are, are where do you find your identity? And in, if it's in the works of the law, then the badges of membership in God's family, if you're in God's family because of works, then you're in God's family because you've been circumcised, because you keep the food laws, because you keep the Sabbath. And what Paul is going to say in chapter 10 is that when Jesus came, he was the end of the law. And we'll talk about what that word end means. Uh, he's trying to, Paul is trying to say that despite what Israel, unbelieving Israel, thinks, and of course Paul was part of that group for the first of his life uh, up until his conversion, uh, he says, we think, we th unbelieving Jews thought God uh, has not been faithful to the covenant if uh, Jesus is the Messiah, but he now comes to believe that God's righteousness has been shown God has been faithful to the covenant through the Messiah, through Jesus. And if that's the case, then we're in God's family now through faith, not works of law. And so the Messiah has brought an end to the law. So I think that's the general theme that we're going to work through in Romans chapter 10. And we'll have some other things. Uh, so we're just going to read through this. I'd be grateful if you have a question as we read through to, to let me know because I'm interested in what you're thinking. Oh, before we even start, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Work or an obedience? Because 
Isn't that kind of what baptism is to the Christian? Sort of. Okay. Uh, so the question is, is circumcision in the old law equivalent to baptism in the new, it the was new world? Obedience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in some ways it's similar, but I would think I think Paul would would think of baptism as circumcision of the heart. Yes. So that makes it he, he makes a distinction between being circumcised in the flesh and being circumcised in the heart. And I think if you're baptized, he says that wouldn't be just you're baptized in the flesh. That that it that represents something real going on in your heart. So in my mind, they're they're a little different. But, but Romans four talks about that he was saved before he was circumcised. Yeah. Because of God's yeah. grace. But he did that to show his faithfulness. Now, would yeah. he have been saved if he didn't do it? That's disobedience. Right. But, you know, it's this thing about, particularly me as an accountant, I'm very linear. You do this, you do that. Yeah. And God's more circular. It just yeah. happens. But he, he was saved before he was circumcised. I think there are ways that baptism can be taught that make it too much like circumcision. If you say that it is an act that is the badge and is the place where, then you're not understanding, in my mind, the pro- it's a pro- salvation as a process more than just as a one-time act. Uh, so I think the baptism in Churches of Christ in some ways can be preached sometimes, and not just in Churches of Christ, but other religious groups too in a more legalistic way than Paul was thinking of it. Because for Paul, there wasn't a group of Christians that weren't baptized. They're, they were all baptized fairly, you know, early on in their faith. So, yeah. Okay, um, why don't we start uh, in chapter 9, the last few verses of chapter 9, just to get a running start into chapter 10. Uh, so let's start at Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So they stumble over Christ or Jesus as the Messiah. They, that's not what they were expecting. And uh, because Christ has come, now we're saved through the faithfulness of Christ and our faith in the faithfulness of Christ and not by uh, the badge of keeping the law as a way of being right. Um, okay, chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. You ever know anybody like that? Anyway, that's off the topic. But yeah. Zealous for God, but zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, um, that word righteousness is hard to translate. I want to read from N.T. Wright's translation. Just to, He translates the word righteousness three different ways in that one verse. 
but I think it helps draw out what I think is the correct meaning of it. He says, they were ignorant, you see, of God's covenant faithfulness. So God's righteousness is God being faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham. They were ignorant, you see, of God's covenant faithfulness and were trying to establish a covenant status of their own, a righteousness of their own. We are in the family of God based on the works that we perform. So they didn't submit to God's faithfulness or God's righteousness, God's way of making the world right. So the unbelieving Israelites have rejected God's way of working in the world. They're like the, uh, the clay saying to the potter, no, we don't want to be, that's not right. And God is the potter who's saying, no, I, I have the right to use, uh, use Israel in the way that I choose to use Israel. And he brought uh, the Messiah from Israel to make a path for the Gentiles to be included as well. And so um, the unbelieving Israelites have rejected God's way of making the world right, God's righteousness. Um, I think the church is always going to be connected to Israel. And as we read through these chapters, uh, that's something that uh, we can think about and one of the applications we can make. Uh, Too often we have made Christianity into uh, just Gentiles, I I guess, or the, the view that Gentiles have kind of taken over and replaced Israel. And Paul sees it more as fulfilled. They, um, Christianity has fulfilled the promises made to Israel, not rejected them. Uh, it's not that the Old Testament has been nailed to the cross and is no more uh, necessary to study or relevant to our life. It's part, it's part of the history of how God has worked through the world and still has a place. So anybody who's a Christian is going to have to learn something about Israel and something about Judaism because we're always going to be connected um, in a strong way. And Paul is hopeful that even though the majority of Jews at, at his time have rejected, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want Gentiles just to write them off. He says there's still a place for them if they, if they become believers. Okay, so let's start reading here verse uh, 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. Whoever does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul says a lot about it's, we're saved by our faith, not by works of the law. And notice how um, after he says that, he says in verse 12, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
So salvation by faith as a way of bringing Jew and Gentile together is, is close to Paul's mind when he talks about salvation by faith. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about who can you eat with? Who can, who can you be together with in a church? This uh, part about going up into heaven or going down into the deep to bring salvation uh, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in the book of Deuteronomy, um, Moses is talking to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. And he already says, uh, there are blessings if you obey and there are cursing, there are punishments if you reject and if you go into idolatry. But he says, you will go into idolatry. But after the idolatry and the exile, there will be a way for God to restore you and bring mercy. So there will be mercy after judgment. And what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is that God will transform their hearts so that they will be able to keep the law. Um, so you won't need to climb up into heaven to get the law. You won't need to go, in Deuteronomy says, across the sea to get the law. But the law will be near you, on your mouth, in your heart. Uh, you may remember from Jeremiah, he talks about uh, the law being written on your heart. Uh, Ezekiel talks about changing your heart of stone into uh, a heart of flesh. Uh, so there's these things in the prophets that Paul is appealing to to say that God has written the law on our hearts that is fulfilled through faith in Jesus. Uh, so the law written on the heart comes through faith in Jesus. And now the exile, Jesus has brought an end to the exile. And so you don't have to go looking for it. It came to you in the person of Jesus. You don't have to climb into heaven. You don't have to go into the deep. Um, and it's interesting that he uses that because Jesus came from heaven and he is also raised from the dead, so coming from the deep. So kind of uses that metaphor from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, now, uh, Romans 10 is... 10.9 is famous verse. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, does this mean we don't have to be baptized? Uh, that's, a, that's off topic. <laughs> but, <coughs> but based on what Paul says, for example, in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can you have been baptized into Christ into his death, been raised to walk a new life, still continue in sin. I don't think in Paul's mind, faith and baptism are two separate things. They're the inside and the outside of the same thing. So I would not, you know, I, I can understand why in religious debates in America, this became a topic. Um, but I, I don't think in Paul's context, uh, saying that you're saved by faith and saying that you're saved by baptism, that strong view of baptism would have been contradictory. Yeah. It's like what you said. It's part of the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At what process are you saved? And where are you in that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's harder for us, I think, to understand that it's a process when it's like we grew up thinking it's an in or out category. Yeah. 
rather than our being transformed into the image of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if it's just about your status, whether or not when you die, you go to heaven. Yeah. It's like, there's got to be a point at which you're in or out. But yeah. It's about learning how to live a life that makes sense in the kingdom. That yeah. It's a whole life thing. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? So if we think about it as in and out, are you going to heaven when you die? Then it's important to know, well, at which point then am I out of the hell camp in the heaven camp? And if it's not till you get in that water, then what if I die on the way to the water? Or what if I die in the water? I've heard real stories about those things happening. Uh, well, I haven't heard about what death in the water. Steve. <laughs> So Steve has one about in the water. <laughs> I remember one about a microphone in the baptistry too. So these. There is still some in Christ language. So there is. It's not necessarily maybe a complete either or. But fair to say that there is there is still a sense in which there is a, a real sense of being in Christ and not being in Christ. That that's what you mean by in and out, yeah. Yeah, so the, the in, part of the in Christ, though, is not a once and done, but it's a, even that itself is a process yeah. of, of living into that calling and that Christ-likeness. Yeah. But there does seem to be some difference between being in and out and being, we've over-focused it, we've over-made it a point. But um, I don't think we can give, also give up a sense of there's a difference or some yeah. sort of substance difference. Confessing Jesus is Lord and not. Yeah. Um. And some people point out that when did, in the early church, when they confessed Jesus as Lord, one of the places they did that was before baptism. So that whole idea of confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord may include the baptism uh, ceremony that the early church did as part of, part of what Paul is referring to about confessing with your mouth um, that Jesus is Lord. Our debate is the end of the law rejection of any works. Yeah. And yet belief is a work. Yeah. You make a decision. You, you, on your own, you make that decision. Okay. But the uh, and confession is a work. But the end of the law didn't didn't end an appeal to a moral code. It was the end of you having to live by that to be saved. There's, yeah. There's, there's, uh, it's a delicate. But why? You know, we've had to have so many debates. About yeah. Like I said, there were no unbaptized Christians in the first century. They just, it was a natural. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Randall, then. Talk about Telos. Talk about what? Telos. Yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, my last <laughs> okay. If it comes back, let me know. Are you going to say anything about what it means to confess Jesus as Lord? I don't want to say No, go ahead. So I wasn't going to mention that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> it's not to confess him as Lord. Think of confessing Caesar as Lord. You're not. It's not just I believe this or I'm going to say it out loud. But you're confessing. It's like mm. swearing an oath of fealty. So it yeah. has built in there that sense of I'm going to live accordingly. So you know, lifestyle is is assumed in a confession of someone as Lord, uh, which I think fits in. Yeah, and I, I know in our, in my, the way I was raised, what you would say before baptism is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And I think Jesus as Lord may be a stronger confession 
then I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because you can believe that and then not live like that. But if you believe and say that Jesus is Lord, then that means He's Lord. That means He has some say in how you live your life. So, And I would... I was just thinking about this the other day that maybe that would be a stronger confession to have somebody say um, before a baptism than well, because it implies that someone or something else is not like in yeah. that culture Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not for here it may be Jesus is Lord and Western civilization America is not yeah so you're making a very political statement when you say that versus just like some sort of mental adherence to yeah. Jesus is a deity yeah, I believe that Jesus was a son of God. It, it's very, um, it makes it very intellectual and not as much uh, commitment to lifestyle. It can. I mean, I don't know it always does that, but it can. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Um, so Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill right. the law. It also says they didn't know until God gave them the law and the ten And I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to bring out the purpose of the law. So he's not saying, I'm giving you a different law. He's saying the law was never intended to be a legalistic, I can hate my neighbor or I can hate somebody as long as I don't murder them or I can not commit adultery or I can lust as long as I don't commit adultery. He's bringing out, I think he's bringing out the the intended purpose of God giving the Ten Commandments. So, in that sense, yeah, he's the fulfillment and the end. Have we re- actually read the verse that says this yet? Have we gotten that far? Yeah, skip over verse 4, which is where that. Oh, I did. I just skipped verse 4. Thank you. <laughs> I, I thought we hadn't gotten to it yet. No. Yeah, because I had it as a third point, and then it, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Christ is the, the NIV says, culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Uh, the Greek word is telos, um, the en- end, and it can mean end in the sense of the end, but it can also mean end in the sense of goal. So there's been some discussion is that Christ is either the end of the law or is he the goal of the law? So culmination, I think, is they're trying to put those. I don't, I don't see those as being two um, contradictory things. I, I, you know, I think of using maps on your phone. Uh, when you get to the destination that you put in there, you know, you end. It, but because um, you don't need the map anymore, 
because you're at the location. So there is a sense in which that location was the goal, but there's also a sense in which that is the end. So you don't need the map anymore. So I think uh, Paul is saying that Christ is the both the goal of the law and therefore also now the law doesn't have the same role in being part of God's family that it had prior to Christ. So there, you, there's a way to combine those two meanings of the end of the law. What's that? No need for Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not everybody believes in the in. Yeah. So, uh, I think I think Paul would say, uh, you know, he understands that there's unbelieving Jews. His hope is that they will become believing Jews. And in that way, we're going to get in Romans chapter 11, all Israel will be saved. But I think, I think what he means is both Jew and Gentile as God's people. So. And in the Jewish community, Paul was not with them. What do you What do you mean by that? I just mean they don't like Paul. Today. They don't yeah. Yeah. Well, he converted. So <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, uh, why did he convert? You know, he didn't need to. Yeah, we're going to get into um, you know in the broader evangelical world, some still hold a place for ethnic Israel. It, that's not the way I was taught in churches of Christ. Uh, I kind of ran into that in other places, and uh, when I went to school at Trinity, I was thought of as when I told people I didn't think there was anything left for national Israel. I was accused of not really believing the Bible, not really believing the prophecies in the Old Testament, because I didn't take them literally. So we're gonna we'll get to that in chapter eleven. But, yeah. Okay, let's keep reading a little bit. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So he had just talked about uh, the Jew and Gentile being together in God's people. And I think he's, he's saying something about his own missionary activity. That God has called me to be the, the preacher to the Gentiles. And I've preached that message. Uh, that quotation, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I've always wondered about that. Um, I think that's saying something. This is really good news. So... Wright gives the example in his commentary of if, the, if you're waiting for a good message and you get it, you want to kiss the post, postman or maybe even, you know, praise the tires of the truck that brought the, brought the letter or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, the feet are beautiful because the greatness of the message, not literally beautiful feet. Although, thank you, Josh, for showing us your feet with your flip-flops today, taking this verse very literally. <laughs> if you saw my feet you would uh, question the goodness of the news <laughs> toe fungus not a great thing okay um, for flip flops 
Okay, let's keep reading. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Did Israel not understand? So he's quoting here from some passages within Israel scripture itself, the prophet saying, not all of Israel will believe. So there's a theme in the prophets of there being a faithful remnant within Israel and a recognition that not that God sent the prophets to preach and unfortunately for the prophet he said they're not going to believe you. But he still called them to be faithful to preaching the message. So Paul himself has, has preached the message about Christ as the fulfillment of the law, understanding that there will be uh, Israelites who will not not accept and that's uh, hurts Paul uh, I mean he's not happy about that and he wants to make sure that the Gentiles in Rome do not um, do not forget that the Israelites are the root from which they have been grafted in and that's what he's going to say in chapter 11 so he doesn't want the Gentiles to be prideful and to reject uh, ethnic Jews in the church. Okay, so let's start with uh, chapter 11. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? So Elijah got depressed. He ran away and said, hey, I'm the only one left and God says no there's many left who have not uh, bowed to Baal so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace and if by grace and it cannot be based on works if it were by grace it would no if it were grace would no longer be grace Paul often juxtaposes grace versus works and I th again I think that means works of law uh, he never and this gets to what uh, Josh was talking about last week. He never uh, uh, puts against each other grace and faith. So we're saved by grace through faith. So saying that you can have faith doesn't mean that you're saved by works. Um, so we're saved by grace, not by works. We're still saved through faith because faith is not a work in that sense. Um, okay. What then? Uh, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. Again, the, the hardening, I think, is a, it's a judicial hardening. It's a way of God saying, I'm going to give you more time to accept this message, but the more time I give you, it's going to show the harder your heart really is. Uh, so I don't see that as God forcing people not to believe. It's God making it clear, hey, you're not going to believe because I'm giving you time. I'm preaching you the message. I'm giving you opportunities after opportunity. This is what he did with Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God gave him so many opportunities to change, and it showed that his heart was hard. So in that sense, God hardened his heart. So it's a, it's a judicial hardening. This comes from the Old Testament prophets as well that were where God says, I'm going to send you to them, but they're going to close their eyes and their ears. And so it's going to be have effect of hardening their unbelief. 
verse 11, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So, because of their transgression doesn't mean that because Israel rejected God's plan that God rejected Israel. He still used Israel to work his plan. But their transgression, I think, has two senses. Number one, the Jewish leaders rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus. And because they rejected Jesus and he was crucified, um, brought an end to the law, God used that very rejection to bring about his plan and to include the Gentiles uh, now in the church. So in that sense, their transgression brought about the inclusion of the Gentiles. But also, when Paul travels around in the book of Acts, he would always start in a synagogue. And several times when he's in the synagogue, they start rejecting his message, kick him out of the synagogue forcefully sometimes. And he says, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And then the next city he goes to, he goes back to the synagogue. So when he says, from now on, he means from now on in this location, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He doesn't mean I rejected, I'm not going to preach to any Jews anymore. And even at the very end of Acts, the Jewish leaders in, in Rome come to where Paul's under arrest, and the same thing starts to happen. So that doesn't imply, even in the book of Acts, that the Jewish people are rejected, uh, don't preach to them anymore, uh, that the Gentiles have taken over for the Jews. Uh, the Gentiles have been brought in because of unbelieving Israel's uh, rejection. That's the historical event that led him to preach to the Gentiles. But Paul is also aware and says in Romans uh, 9 to 11 that God has been faithful to his covenant with Israel. So it's all, the, early, the earliest Christians were all Jewish. So we always have to keep that connection in mind. Um, I heard about a Sunday school teacher who said, for all we know, Jesus could have been Chinese. And I think she was trying to say, hey, you know, God loves all the little children of the world. But Jesus was not Chinese. Um, no way. He's, so there's always going to be this connection to Judaism within Christianity. Okay. Um, verse 12. If their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So... When we combine Jew and Gentile in the church, Paul is really hopeful of that being a witness to the world. Um, and what he says about um, God's purpose is to make Israel jealous. That reminds me of the end of the prodigal son parable where the older brother is jealous of the party that's going on for the younger brother who's now been included and refuses to go into the party. But the hope is that uh, eventually the older brother will... Uh, say, hey, that, that party should be mine as well. I should be part of that party. And uh, Paul is hopeful that, that the Jews will see that as well. Uh, verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough of offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. 
if the root is holy, so are the branches. And I think he's referring back to God's working through the patriarchs of Abraham and the whole nation of Israel, that history. If that is holy, then the branches will be holy as well. But if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, you Gentiles, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by belief. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. So there's a warning not to be too big for your britches, Gentiles. Don't think you're superior. Uh, recognize that you've been grafted on and you can be taken out just if you uh, don't continue to believe. Believe God's purpose of working through Israel to bring about the salvation of the world. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Always have, a, have to have a balance between the kindness and the sternness. Just like good parenting, I'm better at the kindness part, but you need both, right? Or your child eats unhealthy food all the time. Oh, you want some more candy corn? Yeah, I want you to have candy corn. You want that instead of your healthy meal? Okay, yeah, sure, you can have that. Well, that's not healthy. So, uh, you know, some churches, I think, tend to focus on the sternness of God and some on the kindness of God. So we have to find ways of maintaining the balance between the kindness and the severity of God. Tough balance though, I think. Um, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not think you are superior. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. I don't think that God has a specific number in mind there. I think he just means uh, there's time for as many as possible to come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So what I want to point out here, I've always, I think some people read this as all Israel, meaning all Jews will one day be saved at some point. And this is where I say there's a view in the broader evangelical world. I used to occasionally when we um, had cable watch religious news, new, the religious channels late at night. And there was one that had a news type thing and they always had an Israel watch because they were very concerned about what was going on in Israel because they were looking for end times type things and evidence that more, more Jews were starting to convert to Christianity and that would be a sign that the end is coming. And it all kind of has to do with this all Israel will be saved. Um, but I see a theme in Romans where he's pointed out that not all Israel is Israel. It's believing Israel that is real Israel. So um, let me show you Romans chapter 9, um, verse 6. 
It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So when he says in chapter 11 that all Israel be saved, I take that to mean all of God's people, the new Israel, which would include both Jews, believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And he uses language very similar to this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, uh, when he, he says, uh, and I think we have time for just this point, um, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. So that's the one place else where Paul would refer use it, the name Israel to refer to both Jew and Gentile to, together, the Israel of God. Yeah. In Acts um, 2, verses 5 through 10, it talks about all the people in 11. It talks about all the people that yeah. gathered and that they were um, both Jews and proselytes. Yeah. Whatever that word is. Yeah. And that, because that means there were people who had converted to Judaism right. and now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, even in Acts chapter two, there's people from all over the world, but they're all Jewish people or converts to Judaism. So the the root of the church is Jewish. Um, and in Acts, you know, it's a lot of Jews do believe, even devout Jews. And and Luke makes a point, oftentimes to say these are devout Jews who are converting to Christianity. So Christianity, rightly understood, is the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel. And I see that as a spiritual fulfillment. This is where my friends who said I didn't believe in prophecy, there's a lot of prophecies that talk about the nation of Israel one day, you know, being a ruler in the world and that type of thing. And that's where some evangelicals are very concerned to see those prophecies come true in a literal way. I think... I understand those to be fulfilled spiritually through a church of Jew and Gentile together. So that's my understanding of all Israel, but it is a been a difficult passage. You, if you, you can only make it say every <coughs> ethnic Israel life by reading it completely out of context yeah. of 9 to 11. So if you follow the flow of thought, then that's the only wouldn't it be totally surprising if Paul emphasizes faith in Christ so strongly and then in this verse says, oh, well, if you're Jewish, you're going to be saved. You don't have to have faith in Christ or you automatically will have faith in Christ. I think it, it doesn't fit the flow of what, what Paul's saying. Yeah. So if you disagree, feel free to come up afterwards and we'll talk about it. But we're out of time now. But thank you very much for being here today. <coughs> I disagree. I don't <laughs> All Israel will be saved. You know, it's interesting when you talk Israel convert. They will very careful in every way. I know. Yeah. Yeah, even the using the language of converting. You know, some people say Paul never really converted because he just he believed. He, yeah, believed in the Messiah, so yeah, fulfilled. Two examples of the uh, <coughs> talk about whether they're uh, Christians when they're during baptism or after. Mm-hmm. Right? 
we had a family where he was a scoundrel and he had two cute little girls that were baptized this one night. The next morning, he was killed. I think it was drunkenness or whatever. But yeah. He was killed. The other one is, I wish I'd have kept this. Uh, I, I saw it on paper about out in California where they were baptizing these people out in the ocean. And, and one or two of them were washed away. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what happened when Steve was talking about. Yeah. Really? Oh, did yeah. he say that? Yeah. That is something. Whoa. Hey, yeah. good class. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.